love trend spotting as a topic. My author speaker coaching work was obviously built on the back of, obvious to me, obviously built on the back of uh, me seeing marketing on Pinterest as a topic of uh, interest in 2011. And literally no one was blogging about it. Hey folks, this is Michael Vizi from Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. In this special session, we're going to start a deep dive into the world of private label products. We'll draw on Michael's experience teaching this to students and private label clients, and we'll share insights and strategies for how you can achieve success. Now, we've put together a terrific list of 12 principles, so let's jump into them today. But first, Michael, if you can do us a favor, why don't we just define the term private label product, what exactly is it? Maybe for people who are brand new to it and maybe watching this video and have not heard of these things before, tell us about what a private label product is and what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, so a private label product, I guess, is it's it's a bit of a contentious term. Let's start with that. So strictly speaking, what it means is you get a product made by someone. So I suppose you could call it contract manufacturing if somebody's making something on your behalf and you put your own label on. So literally the the simplest version is you put your own logo on the product and or you don't mess with the product itself, depends what it is. And the packaging of the product has your own logo on and possibly other design elements as well that you specify. But the actual product itself is not uh, any different to anything else. Now, the, the word private labeling has become a bit broader than that in practice, especially for people who sell on Amazon. So one of the things that people do now is, is that they use the word private label, but they mean they have, if you like, lightly customized the product. So they tweaked it, which is a good way to go. Sometimes these days that shades into completely custom made products and custom designed products. So I guess the strict meaning of it with just putting your own logo on is not what I'm going to address there. So just in case anyone wanted to do that, I would suggest these days that is not a good strategy anymore. It was okay in 2013, 14, 15, 16, borderline, 2020, 2021 on, I, I think is is dead in the water. So I would advise against that. So I guess that's the, the first hint comes even out of the name. I would suggest that lightly tweaking existing products or customizing products is really what I want to focus on here. Okay. But the word private labels used so much that if I said all of that, I'd never get anyone's attention in the first place, which is, sure. it's not a bait and switch, I promise, but it's kind of feels a bit like that because they're okay. it's complicated now. So in the original iteration of the idea, the marketer or business owner would just control the label, like the brand. I mean, mm -hmm. it's your brand on 
someone else's product and to the customer, it's your product, your branded product. But in your iteration of this work, you start to introduce ideas related to customization and making unique attributes available so that you've got something that in essence is sort of a unique product for you. Yes, right. and I think the unique, that's absolutely right. I think the, the word unique or differentiated or different are, are very key words that are going to appear again and again in my, my understanding of how this all works, really, in my experience of how it works. So with that sorted out, you want to give us just an intro quickly to your principles or what you put together here as a list? I know you've got a long course on this. Uh, yeah. Is this just straight out of your course or is this just higher level principles? To be honest, no, not only is this not straight out of my course, the course I'm, I'm rewriting because I just feel like it, it was a very good by the numbers version of what I did that worked very well in 2013, 14, 15, sort of worked in 2016, 17 to degree 18 and, and is now out of date. And I think it needs changing. So this is really this is pretty fresh content and uh, it's principles rather than step by step. And that's kind of annoying for people listening who want things to be simple. And I understand that simple is good in essence. I guess uh, it's uh, Einstein said something like the best theory as in scientific theory is as simple as possible, but not simpler. And I guess I've tried mm -hmm. to make this as simple as possible. And the truth is, these are mature markets we're talking about now. I mean, e-commerce is massively increased in size, as we all know this year. Um, more than ever, we have to be mature, I think, as business people in our approach to what is now a mature market. There's still, I believe, so huge opportunity, really genuinely know that, but also that we have to be more sophisticated and grown up. And I think I can't really simplify the, what I perceive as a true effective approach more than this. I mean, maybe I'll simplify it more in future. Wonderful. All right. Well, with that said, why don't you start to break it down for us? What is the first of the 12 private label principles? Yeah, the first one is zig when they zag, which I first heard as a phrase, I think, from Andre Chaperon, who's a very good email marketer and gets incredible open rates. Another way of putting it is, uh, as my friend and and recent, by the way, fellow Seattle dweller, Rick Cesari. So I interviewed him for the podcast recently with Jason Boyce, also from Seattle. Who's a, Jason ran eight-figure Amazon businesses for years. He was on Amazon seller for 17 years now runs an agency and Rick is behind the GoPro camera and the Lingree grinning machine and something else, each of which achieved a billion dollars in sales. So he really knows direct wow. marketing. Yeah. And he says different is better than better, which is a really huge phrase, not better, different. <laughs> so that's the first thing. It's absolutely critical to be different. Mm -hmm. If you're not different, you can be better, incrementally better, and therefore much better value. People mm -hmm. should buy your products. They would find better value from it. They would enjoy life more. That's all very well, but they're never going to, get to your products in the first place in the world of Amazon, which is so hyper-competitive now. I love that. So what are a few examples of how you could be different as a product? Some general ideas or approaches, I'm sure, swirl together around that idea. I'll ask you the question, but also just lead with saying, I always remember the story of Mike Brown, Death Wish Coffee, who, when he was trying to put together a coffee for his customers, was just responding to them by saying, what's the strongest coffee you can make? So the strongest thing in the marketplace. And mm -hmm. I think his example is so great because it was an obvious need for that uh, market and yet no one had filled it. So becoming the strongest of whatever you're doing in terms of the physical attributes of your product is one track. Others come to mind in your perspective? 
Well, I really like Death Wish Coffee, and that was one thing that, that Rick referenced with me uh, in a recent conversation. But I think what's the classic example, if you gave a bunch of coffee to a, a load of focus groups or you put it through Tesco's or Walmart or some very standard sort of supermarket chain, what you'd end up with is a slight tweak version of an existing coffee. And what they did is something that is different is better than better. Different being super strong coffee is probably for the majority of coffee buyers. And I know you and I are massive coffee drinkers, probably a disaster. If I bought it, I'm a hyper kind of guy. I'd be up all night. My wife would be <laughs> fed up with me keeping her awake. It would be yeah. horrible. But that's not the point. The point is they went for something that they want to be the best in a very particular market for people who were kind of maniacs and love strong coffee. Now, that is a classic example of different is better than better because they did not try to produce a, quote, better or more subtle blend or a more something in the mainstream. They went right on a limb. And it was a risk, I guess, but it was a huge success. So that's a classic example of the sort of thinking that I mean, I, I really couldn't have put it better than that example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing that you can always do is take things out of a product, a light beer, mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> uh, low calorie, uh, low sugar, you, you know, anything that's like that, that there's something that people it, or it's in a product that you would say some people don't want that in the product. Mm. Absolutely. And that's a really, really smart yeah. idea as well. Again, because yeah. there's there's a, a concept by Richard Koch, one of my favorite thinkers of a business, really profound thinker from his book, The Star Principle. And uh, he talks about um, profitable variation, meaning you can make a product different in yeah. a way that means you can charge an extra two dollars. But if it costs you an extra four dollars to produce it, that's a bad idea. And it's yeah. very easy to do that. You get sort of feature creep whereby yeah. you go, you do your research on Amazon. And I'm not going to say anything very new there that you look at all the different reviews and you discover that people want something a bit sturdier coffee cup than the one you're drinking out of, for example. Yeah. So you go and make the sturdiest coffee cup in the world. Well, that's great. The trouble with that is it's going to add weight to the material. So the materials will cost you more. It will cost you more to ship. It will cost you more to yeah. store. It will cost yeah. you more to fulfill. And therefore, that's not necessarily profitable variation, even though it might be differentiation. So then taking things out of a product is really, really smart. And I'm a bit obsessed with this as an example, but I don't have it here. I've got this wonderful iPhone holder, which is just a bent piece of metal, and it is much slicker and less weight, less physical products mm -hmm. than any other product I've ever seen that does that mm -hmm. job. And they've removed a lot from it. They even got a hole in it, so it's a little bit lighter. Yeah. And that's a brilliant example because it costs less to make because it's less material. It's lighter to ship. It's easier to store. It's lighter to fulfill. Yeah. Um, it's not big and bulky. And uh, it does the job better than other things I've had. So what you just said is a profound insight. I, I think if you can ever make a product better by removing something, you should always start with that. Yeah. Like always. There's a, there's a list of how to improve or change products that uh, comes to my mind from a wonderful training I did from John Ward a long time mm -hmm. ago. Maybe in the show notes to this one, when this is on the podcast and the ecommerceleader.com, I'll add that list. It's, it's like 30 things about how you can, uh, zig when other people zag. And let me just mention one little tidbit here before we move on to principle mm -hmm. number two is the the question behind why do this is super important. If you can zig when other people zag, you have a way to stand out. You have a, a thing to talk about, like, hey, here's how we're different. You have a way to attract people who are not being well served. So the zig when other zag is really strategic and we shouldn't neglect pointing these things out that like why it's important to do this i think is a key part of this and it really uh, sets you up for success when it comes to creating your listings and copywriting photography on and on and on and uh, that's i think that's a key part of this it's like the reason behind the the idea yeah 
Absolutely. No, you're right. I should explain that the reason behind the principle. Yes, I think in a hyper competitive market, differentiation is not just a nice to have, it's a must have. Yeah. And you just think about it. I mean, the simple way of putting it is if to stop the scroll. If you've got a somebody mostly are shopping on a mobile now or cell, cell phone, as you would call it, but mobile generally, they're, they're scrolling away. You've got to stop the scroll. You've got to get the click. And yeah. if your image isn't differentiated because your product looks the same as everything else, because Amazon shoppers weren't born yesterday, they've seen a lot of private label products because Amazon encouraged it for several years. And they're now dealing with the problem that's been created is a ton of listings that look exactly the same, but have different brand names, which is mm-hmm. a confusing and suboptimal customer experience. But more than ever, people have been trained to very rapidly differentiate visually yeah. and to price compare. And, and Amazon is a price comparison site. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. To get away from being shopped on price, you have to do something very, very different. So yes, these are the reasons why you absolutely have to zig when others sack. Love that. Well, let's move on to the second principle. But before we do that, I just want to do a little quick shout out. Helen mentioned in the comments, good morning. It's so cool to see the faces behind the podcast. So thanks, Helen. That's fun. It's an honor to be able to broadcast live here. And Andrew said hi as well to you, Michael. And so if you have questions as we go through presentation today, feel free to leave them in the comments on whatever platform you're watching on. We're running this on StreamYard behind the scenes. And so we can uh, see those and happy to answer questions as we go. So with that said, let's jump into the second principle you've got for us. Talk to us about that one. Yes. So the second one is find the gap. And this sort of subtitle for each principle that comes in, in this one, it's add value or lose money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So basically what I'm saying is that the markets, uh, the more efficient a market is, so efficient market theory, is that you're going to add value You've got to add value to the supply chain mm-hmm. or there's no reason why you'll end up with any profit because you're not really adding anything to it. And, and that's very, very true. I think the system that Amazon set up says you're basically dealing with two giant machines. One is the Chinese factories, which kind of act in a quasi-unified way because the Chinese government's a kind of command and control and the Chinese Communist Party is more and more involved in the ownership and the running of private enterprise. As I understand it, I'm not an expert in it, but that's a general trend. It's pretty unsubtle. The other thing is Amazon, which is not as unified as you expect to company to be either sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing in both cases huge entities that are very very efficient and good at mass producing and mass selling so again it comes down to the the same sort of thing that's driving the first principle is you've got to find a gap and then you've got to add value which are very related so the gap is really between what the market wants and what it currently gets and that's in my view adding value to the market and uh, i think it's very important to point out the difference between the sort of off-world life that a lot of us will have experienced as employees, especially if you're my sort of age in my late 40s, versus the online world. If you're a local barber or for that matter, a local piano teacher, you can offer a simple service at a low profit because you add value because it's not worth somebody traveling from Seattle to London to have a piano lesson. You know, that's kind of ludicrous. But online and especially on Amazon, because you get more of this perfect market, you'll actually get penalized for coming on and not adding value to the money, to the market, I should say. Yeah. And one thing you got to be very, very aware of on Amazon, which is very different to say Shopify is this. It's not hard to get sales on Amazon, not relative to Shopify or Magento, your own mm-hmm. store. And that can really fool you but because somebody's looking at your listing and clicks and traffic are hard to get off Amazon, but not hard to get on Amazon. And because they're buying, which again is super hard to get off Amazon, but not on Amazon. Well, you, you know, off Amazon, one, 2% conversion rate on Amazon, 20, 30, 40% conversion. That can so fool you into thinking that somebody really is getting great value from your product. And the, the reason they're buying it is because it's cheaper. And when uh-huh. you do your economics, your sums after two or three months of doing this, you realize, oh, okay, somebody's making money, but it's not me, it's Amazon, because they're adding value. They're bringing your product to the customer, but you're yeah. not. Therefore, you're getting penalized. You're actually making yeah. a loss. 
and that's really brutal but a lot of us find that there's a book by a guy named dan olson a product playbook and i just watched his key- a keynote from him sharing it and he talked about three levels which was interesting one was a product's just requirements like this is minimum acceptable thing that a product has to do and that's one level and you've got to fulfill that that won't make people happy it'll just make them not complain you know and then the second level was performance elements things that would say you'd say you know the more the better in terms of how it performs and that's when people go from unsatisfied to satisfied with your product and then the third level he talked about was the wow uh, attributes of your product and wow attributes are things that really surprise and delight customers and what he said is over time in any industry the more competitive it is the more the wows become just part of the performance factors and the more performance factors just become part of the requirement and things migrate over time i love that framework and that thinking and i totally agree with how you're positioning it here in terms of finding the gaps this is one of the real tricks now and i would just say that it transcends just the product itself you know even packaging can be part of it is part of the consumer experience you know, even high quality packaging can really become a wow factor. As we all know from unboxing our Apple products, when we've gotten those and we say, man, this is amazing packaging and the opening experience of the, the, the good. And so those are things to think about as you create your private label product strategy is, you know, can you just simply improve upon packaging? One comment on that, my business partner on our coaching and e-commerce work, Kyle Hamer, that did customize the unique packaging for their skateboard bearings brand, Old Boy Longboards, and actually have a patent on the packaging because it's so unique and and it stands out so incredibly well from other options. And so that's one of the attributes you can think about as you work on private labels. It doesn't have to just be a dumb sticker with your you know logo on it. it you can really embellish and think through the packaging as a as an opportunity to find a gap and if stuff all looks cheap and low cost and you position it packaging wise as beautiful and you know kind of higher level quality you found a gap yeah very true and it's luckily as you just pointed out i mean having a a patent on your packaging because it's that good is is really high level stuff and and, you know kyle's a super smart guy so it's interesting that he's gone that far with something which is a very smart idea packaging though you're right is very important and and the most important thing i think is what i take from your daniel olson thing is that really there is a very 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 fast change from the minimum what's the word minimum viable product that is viable on an amazon marketplace shifts very quickly from this level to a higher mm-hmm. level to mm-hmm. a very high level just to be able to sell at a profit or even yeah. sell eventually and so that movement from minimum acceptable to the the better and then wow to the wow factor becomes okay and then it becomes minimal again yeah that can take six months and that's why you've really got to do this deep work now i think you put your finger yeah. on why it's not okay okay to just private label the product and put it on amazon now because if you do it won't cut through the noise because of mm-hmm. what you just said that, that daniel yeah. olson movement yeah, absolutely right. Because of the intensity of the competition, mm-hmm. that you know, absolutely. people will see what's working on Amazon and they'll quickly say, "Oh, I could one up that guy, yeah, or that gal," absolutely. and they yeah. do. Yes, um, absolutely. Yes, they do. Sadly. Okay, great. Let's go to principle number three. What's principle number three? 
So this one is anticipating trends, which again is a little bit like the thing we're talking about. But this is a little bit different from, I would say, just differentiating an existing product. It's trying to see what everyone wants to do, which is to anticipate, to skate where the puck is going, as they say in ice skating. Not, not that I've ever done ice hockey. It's a very sort of Canadian thing, I think. But So another way of putting it is, to, with apologies to Rick Cesari, early is better than better. So if you are the first person to spot that matcha tea is a thing or matcha tea gourds or whatever, is becoming a thing and you live in San Francisco or hipster part of London or New York and you see that happening in your Chelsea loft and you yeah. see that happening off Amazon and you're one of the first people to offer it on Amazon you see yeah. that trend not on Amazon but yeah. across the world of, of buying stuff if you like buying products retail then that's a fantastic place to be because the third or fourth person to do it on Amazon has to differentiate themselves from the person that's already established so yeah. I guess in a way you could put this as one of the first principles but it's a little bit different in the sense that it's harder to catch, but it's more valuable. Yeah. And this you see all the time, the first move advantage. And you even see like the mass-produced cars by Ford. It took decades before other people caught that up. Yeah. And, you know, it's much, much easier to be first than to be better. Love um, this. Yeah. yeah. I love trend spotting as a topic. My author speaker coaching work was obviously built on the back of, obvious to me, obviously built on the back of uh, me seeing marketing on Pinterest is a topic of uh, interest in 2011. And literally no one was blogging about it. So my blog really dived deeply into marketing on Pinterest, turned into a book deal, and then multi book deals, I kind of followed that path with uh, Instagram as well. And uh, it's been one of the attributes of, of the things I've tried to do is I look for new things to t talk about and work on. And so trend spotting within your niche, within your area of discipline is super important. And I would just say it's not an isolated or standalone idea. Ideally, it works in a catalog business, you know. So for me, for example, all of our topics that we're working on for e-commerce, uh, one of the trends in the marketplace right now is live commerce. Now, most people have never heard of live commerce, but for the people who have heard about it, they're interested in it. And for an educator... That's the kind of stuff you're like, okay, I've got something that's new and interesting in the marketplace that I can speak into, create content for, have products around, et cetera, et cetera. And it's true as well in the physical space. If you're in the, you know, whatever it is, you know, pet space or homeopathy or fashion or, you know, whatever, you get the idea, the opportunity to find what's novel and to commercially make it successful is a well-worn path. And I think it's a it's a huge tip here that you're providing. I love this one. Yeah. I think what's really important as well is to what you just said about your book authoring uh, career as opposed to physical products. But again, we shouldn't be fooled by thinking too narrowly in terms of industry. What you just said, I, I cannot stress enough how important I think that is to get outside of not just the bubble of Amazon, which is terrible, yeah. but also yeah. physical products, which is very limiting because yeah. actually techniques that work in other industries can be incredibly applicable to yours. And if nobody else is doing it, that's a huge advantage. Mm -hmm. So what you did is you found something that was trending. You got a very, very narrow, like a chisel that got you into the marketplace right. as a, an expert. And then you've expanded it to areas where if you tried to start talking about Instagram or Facebook marketing, initially you yeah. would have been one amongst a hundred, a thousand, 10,000 people, right. and you would have been drowned in the noise. So that's again, a great way to start a business, particularly somewhere hyper-competitive like Amazon is that you find a very specific trend in a very micro product category that may not be worth that much right now. Yeah. And that doesn't matter. People really place excessive worth on how much money is being made now on Amazon 
by the time you spot something that's big on Amazon, it's already too late. You want the opposite. You want something that's tiny. It may not grow. That's the risk. But if it does grow and you're at the center of it, that then enables you to expand out of that 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 niche that you've got dominant in, which is exactly the category, sorry, exactly the strategy that you took. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And this principle, anticipating the trend, it weaves into some of your upcoming ones. So I'm going to circle back to this one when you get to those, but it really is a central theme that's very interesting. So let's go to principle number four. What is uh, principle four? So principle four is pick a fight you can win. (laughs) Or another way of uh, putting it is to find a competitive advantage. Now, there's a whole book about competitive advantages written by a guy that, weirdly enough, I met in a local cafe, which shows that I live in an interesting area because it turns out he was um, the first marketing officer for Just Eat, which is one of the biggest IPOs in British history. And they're a bit like a delivery or something along those lines. But anyway, he's written a book um, which talks about competitive advantages and how critical it is to find one. And really, that's kind of the flip side of of picking a fight you can win so they come in various flavors which i haven't captured in the notes here but they might be things like having more money than anyone else which is hard to do but possible i guess if you raise a lot of money i know people like thrasio and so forth are raising crazy amounts of money they're not entrepreneurs in the sense of creating products but they are in the amazon space uh, they're aggregators i guess but you know so those are extreme examples more money than everyone else unlikely for most of us to be an advantage better education for example if you've got you know education in finance or you know like your case an mba insight is also another one i think insight is often one of the best advantages we can have which could be understanding the, the market better than the competition and then another competitive advantage which people just don't take advantage of enough and don't integrate into their market choosing policy if you like or strategy mm-hmm. is having a sourcing way of doing things that is, that is unique so it's 2021 coming up it's not enough to go on alibaba anymore even if you uh-huh. have a better insight than everyone else but if you can get unique sourcing and or understand the marketing better than market better than the competition that really starts to put you ahead of the game interesting okay so uh, i as i saw the outline ahead of time really um, focused on the part of uh, picking a fight you can win more as it relates to picking a niche or industry, not so much leaning into your competitive advantage, but both sides of the you know equation are true. But I've always thought about looking for small niche industries or communities that are underserved and really going deep in support of serving them. The thing that I've seen work over and over is people find a small, small addressable market that has a real need and building something for them. And it is very, very frequently a subset of a subset <laughs> of a marketplace. And, uh, you know, like our experience for, for Pixie Fair is that way. We're in the doll clothes pattern niche. Doll clothes patterns would be part of the sewing industry. The sewing industry is a relatively non I mean, it's not a huge marketplace. I mean, it's, it's it's there, but it's not like, you know, the most hot thing on the planet in terms of uh, industries. And so you get the idea here. And I think that's a real key part of this is finding a, a space in which you can be competitive and, and win has to do with who else is in the space. It doesn't just have to do with what your competitive strength is, because to be honest, you might think you're one of the best in the world at something, but as soon as you go up against 50,000 other marketers that have billions of dollars and other big companies, you'll realize quickly you were maybe good for the, the local high school level. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Maybe you're good at the junior college level, but in, 
top echelons of world-class marketers, you're going to have a hard time competing. And so why put yourself in that situation? Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I guess if the sports analogy is that you, you may be the best person at, at football or maybe American football or soccer, whichever, because they're both obsessions in our respective countries, aren't they? But sure. you, you may be the best in your town, but are you the best in your um, county at your level and your age? Does that mean you're going to be good enough to try out for Liverpool FC or, or for, you know, whatever the big American football clubs are? Probably not because the competition is frightening, particularly like American football looks frightening to me anyway. But there, it's clear that there's a lot of money, there's a lot of prestige attached, and therefore you're dealing with with pe people with huge budgets, incredible will to win. And as you said, I mean that the American version of this is the riches are in the niches. I kind of hate that because the word niche should not be pronounced like that in my view. But it's true. I mean, it's, it's your experience that a subset of a subset of people who are not being properly served. Again, it comes down to that that same. These principles all interact, which is why it's not a linear sort of progression mm -hmm. of step one, step two. They are principles which can layer on top of each other, because serving a market that's not being addressed, whose needs are not being addressed properly, yeah. and going into picking a fight that you personally can win are two sides of the same coin. Like yeah. if you like, you know, cinema officers have world class skills in designing, you know, haute couture level stuff for dolls' clothes, which is really niche. Now, if I weren't into that market, I would be creamed by somebody like Cinnamon because I have no yeah. idea. Idea what i'm doing so it right. would be a, an underserved market but i'm not the person to serve it so there has yeah, to be a match between those two things many people who look at our work say to us why don't you go into the baby clothes or children's clothes space and we're mm -hmm. like man you know who pe you know the people who make baby clothes and and children's clothes those are billion dollar italian companies and new york based mm -hmm. companies I could never compete with those guys. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, we will stay out of that space. It's just not, it's not a good idea, you know? Yeah. And so you have to rationalize it for yourself in your own space. And I will just tell you one other trick in terms of finding a space. Cause I took, we took 10 years stumbling around mm -hmm. from 1998 to 2008, trying to figure out what part of online selling we could do. So trust me, I, I feel the pain of the, I don't know how to find my, you know, my niche, niche. But the thing is, here's a trick. Look for things that other people would dismiss out of hand. Mm -hmm. And they would dismiss it for a reason. Like, oh, is that still a thing? Oh, isn't that a dying industry? Oh, isn't that like a, a horrible, like whatever? Like look for stuff that people have discounted in their minds. And most marketers will say, ah, no, I don't think I want to be in that space. It's not very it's not growing. It's, it's old, whatever. Those are the opportunities, you know, in my view. So anyway, yeah, this is a great one, man. I really love that one. Principle yeah. number four is pick a fight. You can win competitive advantages. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I really like what you just said. I mean, two, two things that are really critical. One is that where people are dismissing mm -hmm. is where you should start looking, not end up looking because the yeah. mainstream is never where you want to be because that is dominated by billion dollar trillion right. dollar brands like apple is like i think an hour trillion dollar market cap company or it's pretty close i mean you don't be anywhere close to those things and yeah. the second thing um is your honesty about the fact that you stumbled around for ages to find it the, what i'm talking about is not a system you can run in three months and it steps one to ten and by the time you're at step 11 you're making lots of money and, and it's all sorted these are principles that you will explore deeply over time and it's not a quick win that yeah. there is so much money to be made by being successful in private labeling. One of the brands that came to us in the market, the mastermind three years ago has 10 X their revenue. And they were doing like $250,000 a month when they came to us, there's crazy money to be made, but they worked unbelievably hard to get to where they are. 
yeah. and they they worked so hard and went through hell to get to where they were before um, they started. Now that that happens to be their journey, but the point is, yeah, this is a, a long drawn out fight, and yeah. you've got to be committed to it. And I say, so I think your your example of how long it took is also an important thing. We shouldn't let let escape us as well. Hey folks, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the e-commerce leader. So today we have covered quite a lot of ground but we have more to cover 12 principles that cover product development of private label products so lots to unpack here i'm sorry that I, this isn't the simplest thing in the world but i don't think simple cuts it anymore in the modern world as i said to jason that as einstein said about a scientific theory it should be as simple as possible but not simpler and I think in a complex world, we have to have a more sophisticated strategy. I don't think we have a choice anymore. So I don't really apologize for putting out something that is a bit more thought provoking, but I hope that it's absorbable and makes sense to you. That's my job, my hope. So the first thing we dealt with is defining private label. And in fact, the fact that it's not necessarily simply about putting your logo and packaging on an existing product anymore. That's still possible if you source in a really smart way. And we'll talk about that in more detail as we go through these next couple of episodes, because it's going to be three episodes devoted to this topic because it's such a big one. But pure private label may, may work, but more likely you're going to be customizing a product lightly, maybe quite a lot, or even creating a new custom product completely. So we've got to be clear at the beginning that private label doesn't mean what it traditionally or strictly speaking should mean, but I've used the phrase because a lot of people are familiar with that so our four principles out of 12 that we cover today is the first one zig when they zag or different is better than better this simply comes to the fact that amazon is such a crowded marketplace you've got to get you've got to stop the stop the scroll and get the click are the two sort of mantras for the main image and then when people have got the product they've also got to enjoy using it as well so that's really really important indeed the second principle is find the gap add value or lose money in an efficient market broadly speaking you need to make sure that you are adding genuine value or you just genuinely will not get paid you may get revenue but that's just passing through your bank accounts on the way to amazon your supplier whoever else it is that's going to benefit from your your product sales and amazon benefits don't forget in two ways well three one is it, it's sales commission 15 percent in most product categories the second way is when they get your fulfillment money um, fba doesn't actually make them money but it gives them market share in that i guess and the third big way these days is you pay them a lot of advertising revenue and even if you're off amazon you're going to be paying revenue to somebody for something so some form of traffic so just because there's revenue being made doesn't mean you're making money and it's very easy to fool yourself about that and you must be honest about that third principle anticipate trends skate where the puck is going another way of putting it with apologies to rick cesari is early is better than better if you're early to a market and dominate it it's way easier to make money with a less perfect product because you're serving an underserved market once a market is established then you need to if you're going to take market share off somebody else you're going to have to be much better than them and that's expensive and hard to do and takes a lot of effort and you've got to fight an incumbent so it's much better to go into virgin territory or the blue ocean strategy would also be a way of putting this from the book of the same name Principle number four is also really critical. Pick a fight you could win or what's your competitive advantage. This is partly inspired by the thoughts of Ash Ali, who I um, met briefly, who 
helped to be a part of the founding team or one of the early employees of Just Eat, one of the biggest IPOs, initial public offerings or going onto the stock market in the UK history. And they talk about the unfair advantages, their book of the same name. You should not be trying to go into somewhere where you don't have some kind of advantage. These can come in lots of different forms. But the main thing is don't go head to head with Chinese factories or Amazon the two massive giants in the Amazon space that we compete with the third-party sellers in terms of their territories, you know, big plastic generic widgets. Don't don't be fighting in those territories. And I think our competitive advantage can be understanding the market better than the competition. Also sourcing in a way that is different to everyone else. Again, Zig, when they zag, doesn't just apply to product choices, but also where you get the products made, how you get them made, the relationship you have with the supplier, all of that stuff. So already I think there's a lot to think about. I'm not going to try and blow your mind by adding anything more to the equation. If you find this useful stuff, uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on any podcast player. And if you do enjoy it and just give us the boost that we need to keep justifying spending our time and effort and money on this, then if you're on an Apple podcast player, please don't forget to give us a rating as well. You can just simply tap and give us whatever number of stars you think we've earned. You don't even need to write a review these days if you don't have much time. So please do that. We'd love you to do that. It would be so helpful. Like any Amazon seller everywhere, we have to live or die by reviews. The same for us as podcasters as well. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.